Hello and welcome to this week's Inside Business and Technology podcast. I'm Tom Lyons. We're starting uh, this week's podcast with one of the big, big stories of the last fortnight. Uh, and this relates to a man who's been described as a bean baron, a multimedia uh, tycoon, a billionaire, a telecoms entrepreneur, uh, lots of different things. But in the last while, he's been described as somebody who seems to be in a bit of financial trouble. Uh, we'll start off with, uh, with yourself, Dominic. Just to give a sense of, you know, just... The, like Tony O'Reilly's position within the Irish business framework, you know, like just how big is this guy? Uh, how big now? That's a, a moot point, but at his peak, by by far the most high-profile name in Irish business uh, of his era. Uh, he was a peer, obviously, of, of guys like Michael Smurfett and Tony Ryan, but would have been better known than, than both of them, probably more internationally better, well known. Uh, he was, to put it simply for people nowadays, maybe the Brian O'Driscoll of his era, a man who touched success in everything he did, certainly in his early years, uh, from the rugby field to his early adventures in, in business, uh, initially with, with marketing. Kerry Gold, that was his, his genius idea. Marketing was, despite his, his degree in law, marketing was where, where his genius was. He went on to Irish Sugar, uh, then into Heinz, and turned Heinz into into a, yeah, a big company already, but into a company that was 12 times bigger over a period when he became chief operating officer, chief executive and chairman. Uh, he, he was just the, the major Irish business figure at that time. And he's somebody who managed to do it, not just in Ireland but and the States, as you said there, but he was in he was in India, he was in Australia. I mean, he really he really did, did seem to be able to do it anywhere anywhere he wanted to. He certainly went into business in a lot of areas. To be fair, if you look after the Heinz time, and certainly the independent news and media acquisition, for instance, happened while he was still chief executive of Heinz. It was quite a unusual position that a senior corporate officer was allowed to buy other companies in different spheres and in different geographies while still being, being chief executive of a listed company. But that gave the idea of his scale at that time. But that that's independent news and media while it w- was an investment back in the homeland to a certain degree and gave him an entree into a whole new set of geographies in Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, places like that. It never quite paid, delivered the same magic in terms of financial return as his, his initial ventures uh, up to the Heinz years, really. And Mark, you're somebody you you know you broke the story initially, which was that he was, that he was in some financial difficulty with AIB. Can you tell me about how that story began and uh, what were the developments this week? Well, what happened this week was that um, 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 lawyers for AIB and also for Tony O'Reilly appeared in the High Court on Monday, um, and it was entered onto the commercial list, which is really a fast track list. So it's back before the courts in June the twenty third, and we got an initial taste of the case. Now it's a summary judgment case, which means that. Um, there won't be any trial. Theoretically, there will be no witnesses. Um, both sides put in written submissions and the judge decides what Tony O'Reilly owes um, 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 to AIB. Um, but uh, uh, this, the, the, the thing really, his annus horribilis, if you like, was, was probably 2009. That's where the whole thing started. That was the year that financially killed him. Um, and he lost Waterford Wedgwood that year and with it a slice of you know, probably half a billion euros of his wealth. Um, he lost his job as chief executive of independent news and media as part of the settlement with Dennis O'Brien. Um, um, so, so he lost a two million a year salary there. 
Um, that same year, uh, Independent News and Media cancelled its dividend, which for the decade leading up to that had been worth an average of 14 million a year to him. So he lost most of his income. Um, so when you lose most of your wealth and most of your income in the same year, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not been a good year for him. And that's, that's the genesis of his difficulties. And, you know, a lot of, uh, the, a, a lot of the money that he and the debts that he accrued in 2009 fighting against Dennis O'Brien and fighting to save Waterford Wedgwood, he guarantees those personally. Um, um, and that's at the root of his current difficulties. He remortgaged his house in Cork in 2009 to try and pay off, you know, I, I guess he was borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. Um, um, and that the remortgaging that house in Cork um, um, was a spark for, for everything that's happened to him over the last fortnight. And what's he been doing, Mark, to try and restructure his debts? I mean, he's been, how much has he sold altogether? And, uh, well, he's, he, he, he sold more than 110 million euros worth of assets since 2011. That's what he told a court on Monday. Um, or sorry, what his lawyers told a court on Monday. Um, um, he's, uh, he started selling down his independent news and media stake at the beginning of this month, which, um, which, which may have um, um, spooked some of his creditors. Um, he still has, um, you know, he still has a 15% stake in Providence Resources. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens to that and who gets a hold of that because he does have other creditors, uh, Lone Star, who bought his loans from IBRC and also um, ACC Bank and others. Um, Bank of Ireland, I think, has, has, has been paid off. Um, he has uh, his house in Fitzwilliam Square in Dublin, which we know is on the market. Uh, uh, and also he has a house in the Bahamas. Um, there was no mention of that in the court documents. Um, he listed his unencumbered assets as being a, a shareholding in Fitzwilton, which was his old industrial group. Um, in his pomp during the 90s, uh, that, 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 that would have been very valuable, but it's, it's debatable as to how valuable it is now. Um, and he will hold on to a small cottage of land on the edge of his holiday home in Glandor, so he'll still have that. Um, and then there's Castle Martin, um, um, which is, is of great emotional value to him. I mean, that's where his parents are buried, and that's where two of his grandchildren are buried. Um, and 750 acres of prime Kildare stud land. Um, there'll be no shortage of buyers for that, but it's on the market because AAB is a charge in that too. And Dominic, you know, when you see somebody, you know, who's achieved so much taking such a, it seems like he's fallen quite a significant way. Uh, you, you know, what do you think has been the reaction among the business community to this story? I think uh, to a large degree, there's a certain sense of sympathy. Um, we've seen a lot of people traipse through the courts in the last years, a lot of uh, high profile people, a lot of developers, particularly bankers, uh, very few of whom attracted any sympathy. Um, bankers struggled to get sympathy at the best of times and many of the developers uh, were architects of their own downfall. In truth, so was Tony O'Reilly or Sir Anthony as he preferred to be called following his knighthood. But um, but there is a sense of a man who, who was Ireland's first super presence on the international business stage who blazed a trail that many others have followed since and who did put a lot of money back into Ireland including through the Ireland Funds uh, which were instrumental in, in channeling money and channeling messages back from America to Ireland that there were alternatives to simply the IRA conduit at that time. So there's a feeling he he wasn't as uh, as much of a selfish individual as some some of the others who who crossed the court's pages, but that's not to say that uh, that he wasn't a self believer or that he wasn't a driven man, or that he was always the nicest to work with, as indeed even people like Bertie Ahern, Brian Cowan or John Bruton would tell you uh, in respect to their clashes over several governments. And what do you think it was, Dominic? You know, was it, was it just like the, there's obviously the global situation. Uh, like, do you think that it was more, like, was there an element of pride in there as well that he wouldn't let Waterford Wedgwood topple, which really was the, the place where he lost most of it, his money, it seems? Yeah, the, the, yes. Pride, there is an element of pride. It is noticeable that his biggest successes 
were in running businesses for other people at a very senior level where he would have had a lot of autonomy, but not businesses that he owned himself. When it came to businesses he owned himself, Waterford Wedgwood, Independent News and Media, he proved unable to make a decision to cut his losses. Uh, and he made the mistake of making a very bad enemy of Dennis O'Brien back at the, the time of the Valencia deal for Aircom back in 2001. And uh, that's, that took up a lot of his attention subsequently. And how big a deal do you think the, the loss of independent news and media? You know, he seems to have had, you know, borrowing secured against his shares mm. and those shares fell in, greatly fell in value. Well, I mean, you would have to imagine that if you were still in control of independent news and media, that a state controlled bank like AIB would not be pursuing him so publicly and so aggressively uh, in the fashion that they are. So, you know, he lost about, well, he spent about 150 or two, about 160 million euros buying uh, independent news and media shares at the height of his battle with, with uh, Dennis O'Brien and those shares are worth very, very little now. But it's really the loss of influence, I think, with independent news and media. And when, he, when you know, when he controlled independent news and media, John Bruton, when he was Taoiseach, travelled to Shortcliffe to, to, to his house in Glandor and Cork uh, to have a discussion with him and apparently got a dressing down. The Taoiseach was dressed down by Tony O'Reilly at that meeting. Um, and Brian Cowan and Bernard Bertie Ahern uh, uh, in 2006 or 2007 went to visit him at his house in Fitzwilliam Square for a very famous, now infamous, meeting. Um, 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 and uh, uh, Anne Harris, who is the, currently the editor of the Sunday Independence, she, she, she has since spoken about that meeting and said that in return, um, 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 uh, Fianna Fáil uh, got uh, positive stories in, in independent news and media titles. So it's the loss of influence um, and the loss of prestige. Um, but, you know, I mean, a lot of the sympathy that's out there for Tony O'Reilly this week and last week, it's not financial sympathy you know the wolf will be kept from the door his wife is independently wealthy she's she's a, she's 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 a billionaire in, in her own right uh, i think it's more sympathy when you see a 78 year old man who's had his life work dashed against rocks and that's what's happened he's lost and he will lose um practically everything um you know and for for, for a man who was considered a titan uh, and as dominic said you know the first real international businessman Ireland had uh, that's sad to see you know he won't he, he won't want for money but he'll certainly want for pride after this and Dominic, yeah, he's married to Chris Galandris, who who comes from a, a very wealthy background. I mean, uh, where do you think that she fits within all of this? We don't know. Um, I, the suspicion seems to be that that the the debts he has have to be handled. They have to be sorted. The easiest way to do it, one assumes they have decided, is to go this path as bruising and as humiliating as it is. Um, but they are a very private family, like as many with, with money are, and certainly there's no uh, public information about um, how the Galandris money and the O'Reilly money will meld at the moment or into the future. It, it, and and it, it, there's probably a certain sense of logic in the fact that um, um, you know his, his wife's family haven't stepped in this time to try and pay off his debts because you know ultimately he's going to need money to fund his lifestyle and to fund whatever he has left. And they're better off just keeping that outside of the process. It's not encumbered by it, um, um, his wife's money or anything like that. His wife owes um, no money to, to, to AIB or, or, or to any of his creditors. So they're probably better off just keeping that outside. Let the banks take whatever they're going to take and, 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 uh, and, and, and whatever money is left for him to live with and, and you know there won't be shortage of that, I'm sure, um, and the bank can't touch that. And Dominic, when you think of it, you know, he's one of the extraordinary sort of class of 37. You know, these t- the 1937 was the year that he was born, just as Tony Ryan was, just as Michael Smurfett was. Uh, like, how do you think he's going to shape up, you know, in the longer term, if, uh, if he gets through all this? Like, how are people going to look back at his business career? Uh, well, he had the edge on them. He was 36, so he, he had a fractional edge on the other two boys. He was he was always one step ahead of them. 
Um, I think his business career is now absolutely at an end, but then again, not entirely surprising at 78. But I think he will probably be remembered more fondly than he might have thought at his peak. Um, and if anything, this uh, episode will probably ensure that in the public mind, he's probably seen more positively than he might have been by some of those who were on the wrong end of some of his decisions down the years. Mm. And also the fact as well that, that, that his downfall, his financial downfall came because he was trying to save a, a very well-known Irish brand, a brand with, with, with a huge heritage, Waterford, Waterford Glass. Um, and, you know, it wasn't, um, um, it, it wasn't as if he, he, he lost all his money, you know, building shoebox apartments on, on the River Liffey or, or you know, trying to, trying, to, trying to build new towns on the outskirts of Dublin. Or, or it, it's, it's something a little, bit more, um, a little bit more intangible. It was a brand he tried to save and you know it was something that, that was very very dear to the workers who worked there as well um, and I'm sure they probably appreciated how much of his own money he put in and uh, trying to save it albeit they've lost out themselves and their pensions and, and unlike a lot of people of his time and afterwards who went abroad made their money abroad kept it abroad and lived a very high life he mm. did put a huge amount of, of his wealth back into this country in one form or another that it didn't all work out absolutely he lost he's lost several fortunes in, in investing in Ireland one way or the other but he did actually bring the money home he didn't forget Ireland, and that means a lot to to people out there, and probably means he'll be remembered more fondly than than some of his peers. And how do you think he'll compare, Mark? You know, to people who the generation just younger than him, who'd be in their fifties and sixties. Well, he he clearly has a very very different way of doing business. Probably maybe his his his, his techniques and his, his his approach to business was a little bit more old fashioned than some of the younger Turks who are um, who, who 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 are in the fray today. Um, look, look, you, you don't get to the top the way Tony O'Reilly did um, without being aggressive uh, in business behind closed doors, perhaps, and 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 and, and without stepping on a few toes along the way. Um, how does he compare to them? Um, um, look, some of his achievements can't be taken away from him. Um, you know, he did turn Heinz from a, 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 a you know, a kind of a it was a, it was a, a slightly backwards listed company when he took it over in one sense. But he turned, you know, he 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 really lit the fuel underneath that brand, underneath the Heinz brand. Um, and so, as a builder of brands, you know, he probably won't be he won't be topped in Irish business, or certainly not for a long time yet. Um, but you know, really to assess somebody's uh, life's work, you have to assess what they're left with at the end. He's not left with a whole lot. Okay. Uh, well, look, Dominic Coyle, Irish Times Deputy Business Editor and Mark Paul, uh, Business Affairs Correspondent. Uh, thanks for coming on the programme. And for the second half of the show, we're joined by Laura Slattery, Media and Marketing Correspondent with the Irish Times. Uh, you're here to discuss two topics, Laura. One is the business of advertising to men. And the other is the big, big showbiz story of the week, which is, uh, of course, uh, Kim Ye. I hope I'm pronouncing that correct. Uh, their uh, arrival for their honeymoon in Ireland. Uh, let's start. Let's start with the, the Kim Kardashian uh, Kanye story. West story. Uh, like, oh, just for people, and I don't think there can be very many of them out there. But for people who don't know, you know, how how big a brand are these two in the, when they're put together? Well, I mean, if you just look at their social media metrics to put a sort of uh, posh business language on it. Um, Kim and Kanye have a combined 32 million Twitter followers. Most of them are hers. And they have 22 million Facebook 
uh, followers. So these are the people that, you know, once they touch down in Cork Airport and since then the media has been playing a kind of a guessing game as to where exactly they are in Ireland. Uh, but these are the people that Tourism Ireland are now uh, reaching out to with a very quick off the mark um, marketing video, which is kind of styled as a news celebrity news report. Um, but is in fact, you know, branded content. It's, you know, got overhead shots of all the beautiful castles where they possibly might be, you know, currently hiding away from paparazzi. And also, you know, a bit of an old mention for the Wild Atlantic Way and other projects that Tourism Ireland is trying to promote at the moment. So there's a huge constituency of, you would have to say, mostly US uh, people who are fascinated by Kim Kardashian and uh, I suppose to a lesser extent Kanye West. Um, Kim's fame comes entirely from uh, reality television and she's leveraged that uh, to a, a quite stunning degree, I think, over the years. And um, her recent marriage there to Kanye West, uh, the musician has kind of, uh, you know, that's the new twist in the tale. So everybody's everybody's following it. I know it's like she's come, she started off as a celebrity without portfolio, I think is how you describe her in your column. And now she's she's married, you know, into like with a genuine uh, superstar who does have lots of different talents. Um, yeah, you know, I suppose yeah, Kanye West is 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 talented uh, hip hop musician and uh, producer, and he has a lot of uh, things in his armor. He's he, he wouldn't be the he wouldn't be the the, the last person to, to sort of praise himself, shall we say? He's he's uh, he's uh, the New York Post described him as an egotist there in, in their coverage of the marriage, but um, you know he's compared himself to Picasso and. Uh, I think Michelangelo and and you know he sees himself uh, very much as this kind of a, a poet, I guess. But um, that's that's his his, his right. He's not going to be uh, self deprecating. Um, and yeah, they are um, a couple that have a lot of kind of uh, cachet, as they say. They have brand equity, I suppose. Is that's what the words I think of Tourism Ireland, and they've entered into this with uh, with uh, with with uh, great great wish, I think. And what's the reaction been like to Tourism Ireland's advertisements among their 50 million combined followers? Yeah, I mean, I think what's of most value now to Tourism Ireland is the fact that their message has been picked up, uh, maybe not directly by all of those uh, Kim and Kanye followers, but by it, the, you know the social media presence that they already have themselves as an agency. They have... Uh, about 2 million Facebook followers, for example, uh, Facebook fans. And um, the media uh, across the globe has picked up on this sort of speculation story, whereabouts are they? So Metro uh, in Toronto has done a piece, the Huffington Post has done a piece, you know, and all all these pieces, uh, the Mail Online travel side of their uh, website, they've all done pieces on Ireland in the last few days as a result of Kim Ye. So we might sneer at, you know, the Irish media's fascination with, oh my God, like, you know, how, how, how you know, how can we fawn over these these celebrities, or, or, or conversely, how we, how might we, how might we slag them off? But um, there's a very real kind of marketing opportunity there, which which they which they uh, they took. Well, it certainly seems like, and if you combine that with the visit of the Donalds, Donald Trump, which is something which, again, people in Ireland were very critical of. But uh, as yeah. the Donald said himself, I mean, it achieved global headlines, his arrival uh, yeah. and his purchase of, of a golf course. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like they're getting to be kind of almost dab hands at this kind of thing. I think uh, 
um, you know, people like uh, uh, people like Michael Fassbender, who have you know Hollywood kind of following, you know, have you know are great, you know, possible brand ambassadors for tourism Ireland. Pretty much anyone who either comes here or is from here and has has a bit of a profile, uh, why not why not use them any way you can. And do you think that there's risks for, for, for brands associating themselves with celebrities like these? I mean, you know, we saw today, you know, One Direction only at the weekend. They were great news. And now the, the Daily Mail has them up online, uh, you know, smoking joints. Oh, right. I missed that story. I've been too busy working to follow the One Direction scandal of today. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously all celebrities have a half-life. And the trick is to realise, you know, when to move on to the next lot uh, and realize that somebody else uh, isn't uh, isn't really going to do the business for you anymore i mean um it's actually funny because uh, tom cruise has been in has been in britain this week and he's been getting a lot of high profile slots on breakfast tv shows and prem- he had a very early morning premiere of his film which is quite unusual um, so he's been doing decent business, but nothing like the kind of hilariously fawning stuff that we saw when he came to Ireland there uh, last year, I think it was. So I don't know if that's a measure of the maturity of the British or uh, or the fact that, you know, Tom Cruise may be a bit of an old story, but, it, you know, could could be both. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, Posh and Bex, if, if we can go back that far, um, got married, of course, in Luttrellstown in, in, in 1999. Uh, not too far outside Dublin, and uh, that was sort of uh, you know in a way it was Paul kind McCarthy of McCarthy and Heather Mills as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a way, like these are all these are all sort of uh, big events, you know, for the showbiz press. And the thing is, a little bit of that seeps out to people who aren't interested in it or profess not to be interested in celebrity. Uh, culture, a little bit of it seeps out, and so you, you, the brands can take advantage of that, provided there's no uh, criminal convictions on the way. And Laura, the second item you're writing about this week is new research uh, from Millward Brown Ireland, uh, which tries to answer one of the big questions, uh, which is what do men want? Uh, what yeah. does it conclude? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, what do men want? It, it's hard. What men what men want is pretty much the same as what women want, which is not to be patronised in advertising. Um, I mean, unfortunately, advertising you know can often uh, work very well on you know, on stereotypes. You know, uh, an effective ad can you know often exploit stereotypes. But um, the feeling is, you know, according to um, the research uh, which was conducted by Millward Brown Ireland. Um, that a lot of the sort of depiction of men in adverts was very monodimensional. So the sort of traits that kept coming up were that they're sort of kind of quite kind of maybe, um, you know, almost kind of dumb or gullible or very kind of, um, you know, just maybe even obsessed with sex and things like that. And they, 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 what they, well, what they have done rather than actually identify that those were the things coming up, what they have said is these are the things you should avoid. Um, you should avoid these these monodimensional depic- depictions, and you should recognise that maybe things like sex cells, as a principle, can be quite niche, and you know not er- not all men are going to respond to an ad that sort of just you know sort of uh, goes for that kind of lowest common common denominator. And um, they've looked other um, kind of myths that they've looked at 
are um, that the idea, I suppose, that men don't derive any status from an increase in their domestic role. So some brands have kind of stayed up clear, steered clear of that. They have said, actually, you know, men do men do uh, recognise that they, they can have status in a domestic role. So why not do that instead of doing the opposite, like ASDA? And sort of the famous Asda Christmas ad yeah. showed the woman doing everything, uh, which which many people said was sexist um, towards women, uh, but it, and it was I think, but it was also sexist towards men because you know the man in that ad at the end he does absolutely nothing. Uh, at the end of the ad he says you know what's for tea love, you know. But so it's kind of not very you know it's not portraying him in a good light either. So and, and what brands do you think get things right for? With regard to men, or get get things right in their in their messaging to men, I think it's very hard actually think of specific examples. I mean, um, I would say a lot of I, I find a lot. I can almost sort of tell you the ones that I don't like more than the ones that I like. The ones that I don't like would be a lot of the beer ones are quite unsophisticated. I think, um, and um, some of the cleaning product ones are, are kind of portray the hapless man. Uh, rather than the, the sophisticated uh, cleaning <laughs> cleaning man, so um, but Millward Brown as well would say that it's not that they think that advertising can completely, um, I suppose, preempt social change. But what it does need to do is respond to it and, and sort of and have a more rounded conversation. Is I think the words that they're using. Okay, uh, Laura Slattery, uh, media and marketing correspondent with the Irish Times. Uh, it's good to hear that men aren't quite as lazy and beer soaked uh, and or or as stupid as sometimes uh, people might think. <laughs> but look, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks, Tom. And that's it for this week's Inside Business and Technology podcast. I'm Tom Lyons. My producer was Sinead O'Shea, and sound engineer was James Davis.